Welcome back, church, to the Post-Sermon Reflections podcast. Um, I am excited to be back for another week of this search. Um, It has been so encouraging to see Jesus through the stories of the gospel, showing us how he has been reaching out and searching for us as people have been searching for him. I'm here with Anthony, who you may not know is my brother-in-law and um, a true encouragement to me in the faith and someone who I would say is discipling me in the ways that he is faithfully leading his family and seeking to dig into God's word and encourage others to do so. Um, One thing that I really love about Anthony is that he is very astutely critical of um, people who want to defend the faith in in that he does the work to understand what it means to really defend the faith. He wants to be able to go head to head um, with people who have very serious doubts in a compassionate way so that they may see that Jesus is worth considering, um, that he is not asking us to check our intellect at the door. And so that is why I asked him to be on this episode to think about um, Nathaniel and the ways that he was saying, hey, I, uh, I don't want to believe in this Jesus because he is a man of Nazareth. So I'm going to ask Anthony, can you give us a flyover of the passage that Pastor Brennan preached from today? Sure. And now I'm nervous that I have to do a good job with this, especially because my wife was on here a you couple did a great weeks job. ago. <clears throat> yeah. And um, I live in her shadows every day <laughs> of my life. So it's about to happen again now. <laughs> so we were in uh, <laughs> we were in John chapter one. Uh, verses 43 until the end of the chapter. And um, Jesus uh, finds Philip and he says, yo, Philip, follow me. And uh, Philip, we find out, is from the town of Bethsaida. Uh, And Philip goes and finds Nathanael, who says, we have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael's response is, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip just says, come on, man, just come take a look. And when Jesus sees Nathanael approaching, he says, here's somebody who there is no deceit within him. And Nathanael asks him, well, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you. And this interesting uh, moment where Nathanael just kind of turns in a 180 and says, you are the rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And Jesus says, you believe because I saw you under the fig tree. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to see um, heaven opening up uh, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So that's kind of uh, just a a quick snapshot of of the text. Mm, That's so good. And we see kind Nathaniel is making this claim about Jesus and almost a claim of judgment to say, hey, how could anything good come out of Nazareth. Where do you see claims of judgment coming from our culture towards Christianity? Sure. So, I mean, we have seen throughout the history of Christianity, even during the Roman Empire era, um, people were were viewing Christianity as a less than to have a to have a savior who was crucified was a, a foolish idea. Um, we see all the way up until the Reformation area, Catholicism having a real tight grip on Christianity and, and I would say giving a subpar version of Christianity. And then when the Reformation takes place all the way up until the 17, 1800s, I mean, the gospel has always been looked down upon in, in some form, at least the true gospel, really believing yeah. in the resurrect, the crucified and resurrected Christ. And today we see it in all over the universities. We see it in 
um, in Europe, in much of Western culture, uh, we just see that Christianity is viewed as a subpar worldview um, to be tenable to. And it's just, it's outdated. It might have been good for a different time. But today, it's obvious that there is no God. And to say that there is one would require you to be a fool and to check your intellect at the door. Yeah. One question that I had thinking about kind of our cultural moment is saying, like, do you think that that is just a smokescreen for people to not take account, like, to not be accountable for their actions as much as, like, like, I feel like I find that sometimes it's a smokescreen for people. And for you, how do you kind of decipher when you're talking to someone if, like, there really are intellectual objections versus, well, if I believe that this God is true, then I have to change my sexual ethic. Or if I believe this God is true, then, like, I am not the God of my own life. Sure. So two things I would say to that. Romans 1 tells us that all people know the truth about God, and we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Not because we're less intellectual than anybody else, but because that's what we want. We want to live in a lie. That's what our flesh wants, because if we can suppress the truth, then we can live how we want to live, and we don't have to live according to um, God's standards. The second thing that I would say is that... Christianity, and I would say Christian people run the gamut of intellectualism. So you have people that are very simple people, live very humble and simple lives that have embraced the gospel. And then you have people who are highly intellectual that have also embraced the gospel. So the difference between embracing the gospel and not embracing it is not a level of intellect, Mm. rather an issue with the heart itself. Mm. That's so good. That's really helpful. Because I think it is helpful to recognize that kind of that base objection is that we don't we don't want to receive God as king. Um, and we're going to find ways, um, whether that be in arguments to say, hey, I, I want to believe this rather than um, believe that God is true and that his word is true. Um, when thinking about Nathaniel and Nathaniel's claim um, that there's nothing good that can come from Nazareth, and then Jesus's response to them. What do you feel like we see in Jesus's response to Nathaniel? Yeah, so um, Jesus's response is actually filled with with graciousness and humility, and honestly, uh, even a sense of forgiveness. Um, because we might be able to look at Nathaniel and say, "Wow, he's skeptical. He is not agreeable," um, but Jesus seeks to put him in the most positive light possible by saying, wow, there's no deceit in this man's mouth, which is basically saying like, dude, you're blunt. You call it like it is. You see a spade, you call it a spade. And and that's something that, that can be respectable. Now, most people would look at that and say like, dude, you got to kind of get over yourself a little bit. Yeah, maybe, but yeah. um, in Jesus's response, there is a, a, a level of graciousness. And even I would say, um, mercy in in his response. Uh, And obviously, Nathaniel is skeptical, and maybe he has right to be skeptical. I mean, when we look at the Old Testament, we see this triumphant picture of the Messiah, Mm. but he's coming from Nazareth? Yeah. He's he's coming from from the, the the backwoods. How could that possibly be? Is there anything good that comes from Nazareth? And Nathaniel's not not the only one who ever says this in yeah. scripture. Yeah. The Pharisees 
say, uh, are you from Galilee too? To uh, to 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 Nicodemus. Mm. So there's obviously like a uh, <laughs> like a, a very trend. real cultural joke about Galilee and and Nazareth and. Uh, but just one other thing, I think it really shows Jesus' humility. When we read Philippians 2, that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself a servant, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he didn't do that by, uh, by being born in Jerusalem and being born into high honor. He was born in the lowliest possible place and he grew up in the lowliest possible place that you could ever imagine. He like intentionally stripped himself not just of of the glory of being God, but also the glory of a high position mm-hmm. of being a human being. Jesus stripped it all away and people had to look past their prejudices, look past their cultural biases to actually embrace Christ for who he was. Mm. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy because we think about like the humility of Jesus going to the cross being like like the utmost picture and it is the utmost picture still, but that there are so many other ways in which Jesus lowered himself right um, before people. Yeah. And yeah, like a king, a lowly king, quote unquote, even though he's obviously clothed in majesty and worthy of all praise, like getting so low that there's no one who couldn't like relate to him. Right, like right, yeah. Um, and for all human beings to recognize that, like, we can embrace our spiritual poverty because, like, God embraced, like, he, like, almost took the position of poverty and took all of sin, all of shame on our behalf. And so, like, for us to think that there's any room to boast in anything but Christ isn't modeling right. the person of Jesus. Like, if we're ever taking the high seat instead of the low seat, we're not clothing ourselves in the attitude of Christ. Yeah. Because Christ came from the lowest place that he could and then died the lowest death that he could, which is just like so sweet to think about the creator that we worship and his goodness. Um, In thinking about Jesus's response to Nathaniel, what do you think a believer should be thinking when they're meeting a skeptic? Like how does Jesus model for us how we can respond to someone who's skeptical in the faith? Sure. So um, Nathaniel is a, a perfect picture, I think, of of all of us before we've ever come to Christ. Mm. And listen, there's there's room to be skeptical. I would I would encourage anybody who has never challenged their worldview, who's never put their worldview on the table to have it stand the test of of all the other worldviews that exist, you, you need to do it. Not because you might be wrong, but because in testing it, you will see, if, if you are a Christian, you should see that Christianity comes out of the other side of that test more glorious, more magnificent than before you tested it. So mm-hmm. all of us should have a level of skepticism and say, well, wait a minute. Do I just believe this because I've been told to believe it? Mm-hmm. Do I just believe the Bible because some I, I grew up believing the Bible? And I think all of us have to have a moment where we humbly say, okay, let me put this on the table and see what comes out on the other side. Yeah. And um, we have to respect people who are skeptical against Christianity because that should be something that we've walked through yeah. our own selves. Yeah. Uh, if we've never experienced skepticism, then I would say that our our faith has never experienced challenges 
uh, that the world might be able to present. And so, therefore, we are less equipped to deal with skeptics. Yeah. So we should realize that um, skeptics in general are people who are made in the image of God, deserve honor, deserve respect and dignity, and it's our job to present not just the intellectual level of the gospel, but also the heart the thrust, the posture of the gospel, and that we are all sinners in need of a savior. Um, but but that shouldn't be done with ignorance. It should be done with uh, as much intellectual capacity as we can hold. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah, it's not, we don't have um, the right to just like also check our intellectual, it, like our intellectualism, quote unquote. Yeah, that's at, it. Yeah, there it is. Um, at the door. Um, just because we have trusted in the gospel, meaning our trust in the gospel should actually make us want to worship God with our minds even more. Does that make sense? Like right. it should have us pursuing understanding him better and understanding the world in which he placed us and the people in which he came to save. And so like our pursuit of helping make the gospel understandable, obviously praying that God opens, opens blind eyes because it's him who does that work. But the, the way we're talking to the culture is accurate and is kind and compassionate to what the questions that they're having. Because um, I, I do think our day and age is asking some pretty specific questions. They're asking questions of identity. They're asking questions of science. They're asking questions of um, believability. And they're asking questions of moralism. And, hey, what is happening in the midst of our culture? Can I, can I love God and feel like I have to hate a group of people? And I guess one question that I kind of have out of that is... Looking at kind of Pastor Brennan's argument through like humanism and understanding how like Nazi Germany um, really pushed humanists kind of on their heels because they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. we're not that. Yeah, <laughs> like, we yeah, don't want to yeah, be yeah. that. And this this man, W.H. Uh, Auden, had to, excuse me, this man, W.H. Auden, had to really look his humanism in the eye when he saw what was happening in Nazi Germany. And he had to say, oh my goodness. If I don't believe in God, then I cannot be angry with what Hitler is doing. And that's like, to me, that was like the clearest of like, man, the next time I'm talking to someone who says that there is no God or this God, this like, this God's unknowable to be like, hey, if this God's unknowable, has no moral law, you're not really allowed to hate racism and you're not really allowed to hate Hitler. Right. Because. It's just an opinion. Yeah, just an opinion. Versus somebody else's opinion. Yeah. And so. I know that you've had these conversations with people. How does that, how does like that statement sit with them when you make that argument? Sure. So, I mean, I, I, the, the way that it sits with people can run the gamut for sure. But I think like you have to ask, you have to ask those questions, right? So I teach a Bible class, uh, sixth through eighth grade. And uh, one of the things that I tell my students is you never see animals in the wild. You never see like a giraffe witnessing a lion killing a gazelle. And the giraffe is like, yo, man, that is terrible. I cannot believe that lion just murdered that gazelle. <laughs> or um, apparently when bears get really hungry, if they are not able to find food, they will kill and eat their own cubs. And you'll never see like another bear just like watching and be like, yo, really? Cannibalism? Steve? Yeah, cool. Like that's that's horrible because there's no there's no morality that exists within animals. Mm. So there's obviously something different with human beings. Yeah. Um, and so in order for atheism to place value 
and dignity on people, which they seek to do. Yeah. They especially um, seek to place value in marginalized communities, which I think is is a is a good thing. I mean, I think yeah. it can be a good thing. The the idea of placing value on people. However, value is not intrinsic. Value has to come from outside of us. Mm. And so when when atheists say um, you're not valuing these people well, they have to borrow from the Christian worldview. Their worldview is not being consistent at that time because all we are is atoms and molecules bumping into each other. Humanism says that we are able to define ourselves as human beings. But let me ask you a question. When Hitler was in power, was he defining Jews as the same type of humans that Germans were? Back during the, the, the slave era uh, and, and when blacks were starting to move a little bit towards freedom and their, their vote was counted as a three-fifths vote, did that count as a full human vote? No. So in, in all throughout history, we've seen people dehumanize or subhumanize mm-hmm. other people in this, for, the, for the namesake of humanism. And so if we are the highest order in all of the world, yeah. then there's 7 billion def- different definitions of what a human being is. But if we adhere to what God has told us, then there's one definition mm. of what a human being is. And we are all human beings and need to treat each other with dignity, respect, and, uh, and, and, and value. Mm. That's so good. Yeah. That they do. They have to. They have to borrow Judeo-Christian values to believe that all people have dignity that cannot be taken away from them because it's not them who gave it. Right. Um, and I think that is, yeah, I think that's a tool in your tool belt when you're talking to people who are struggling with different worldviews and struggling to believe that Christianity is believable. Um, I think something that's helpful for Christians to understand is just to know that we can learn the framework of someone's thought in a way that loves them. In a way that says, right. I want them to hear that I am seeking to understand them. Right. Because I want them to seek to understand me. But I'm often going to have to do the work to understand them, to draw a bridge from what they're thinking to what I'm thinking, and to say, hey, what you're thinking over there on that on that island, as we're building this bridge, I think it's inconsistent with what you truly value. Right. Because then we're able to have a conversation to say, if you really value human beings— the reason you can value human beings is because God placed that inside of you. That's actually a dignity right. that he gave you. The, com- the capacity to love and to respect and to honor comes from him because all good things come from him. Right. We don't see that right in the in the world of nature. We don't see that with bears and gazelles and with lions. Um, we see them tearing to shreds because it's, it's dog-eat-dog world. Um, and that's where we get this idea is right. by looking at nature and uh, applying the rules of nature to the rules of human beings. But when that happens, that's every... Rom-coms like uh, plotline. That's every like evil person's plotline is to say, actually, you're applying the rules of nature, and we don't apply the exact rules of nature to human beings because human beings are distinct right. from all of nature, and we know that because they're created in the image of God. And what Hitler did was the logical conclusion of humanism, yeah, and atheism. Who are we to tell him that he was that he was wrong? Now, one other thing is that in today's uh, era. People will say that we are absolutely foolish for trusting in the gospel. Mm. Um, and Paul even says, like, listen, we are fools for Christ. And, uh, and, and in, in all honesty, 
I would rather be a fool for something that's right and real than to be seen as somebody who is in high standing yet be wrong at the same time. Um, I remember I was watching a video recently. My mind just, you know, (laughs) if something comes into my head, I'm on the internet trying to find out uh, the, the, the story behind it. And I just thought to myself, I said, these lawyers that are defense attorneys for somebody who's obviously guilty like there's no question about it we all know they're guilty mm. let's stop playing games do they feel a sense of immorality in in defending them and trying to present them as as innocent and i remember watching this video of this older gentleman he had to be in his 70s or 80s maybe and he was explaining that he was on a team of attorneys representing this guy who was so obviously guilty and there were a couple times that he had to like speak in front of the judge and he would literally be embarrassed he was like red in his face uh for uh what what he had to present to the judge and he felt like such a fool and come to find out i don't know maybe like 15 or 20 years later some dna evidence pops up and uh it points to the fact that the guy who uh, this lawyer defended and has been in prison for the last 15 or 20 years, this DNA evidence points to the fact that he was, in fact, innocent Insane. the entire time. And he said from that moment on, I gave everybody my best mm. to present them as innocent before a judge and before a jury. Now, I say that to say, we may look like the biggest fools in the world. We may be red in the face saying, yeah, when God split the Red Sea wide open so the Israelites could walk through, yeah, there were dead people being raised from the dead. Yeah, Noah built a five million foot ark and God flooded the world. Well, guess what? If I'm right, then I'd rather be a fool for being right and be able to 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 walk into the presence of my Savior, and in in utter foolishness for mm-hmm. for believing this. But if I'm right, then that means you're wrong. Mm. And if if I'm wrong, cool. Like I just will no longer cease to exist anymore. Yeah, just like you. Yeah. But if you're wrong, then there's accountability to be to be had. I'll just say one more thing really quickly. I know people are like, yo, is this boy going to stop talking? No, but, absolutely never. <laughs> Let me tell you, I live next door. <laughs> like, Ruth, if if you and I are standing in front of a cliff mm-hmm. and I I say, hey, Ruth, what do you think is going to happen if we, if we take a step off the ledge? And we start talking about it. And I say, well, I think that I'm going to float away and become one with the stars. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be uh, what happens to me. And you say, yeah, and I, I actually think – if I take a step off the ledge, I'm probably going to hit the bottom and not survive. <laughs> and 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 I, I wholeheartedly, sincerely believe that if I step off the ledge, I'm going to float away and become one with the stars. It doesn't matter what I sincerely believe to be true because the reality is that gravity exists. Yeah. And if it exists for you, then it exists for me mm-hmm. as well. And if we both take a step off the ledge, it doesn't matter the sincerity of our belief the reality, the truth of the matter will take over. Mm. And here's the point. 
if Jesus Christ is real, if he is who he says he is, then it doesn't matter if you sound foolish for believing in him Mm -hmm. or if you choose not to believe in him, whatever. If he's real, then we will all have to deal with the lion in the room at some point. And we can deal with him now in our own lives and come to him or we can face him in our death. Yeah. And that's a place that I don't want to see him for who he is Mm. for the very first time uh, in in judgment. So I really believe that with both Christianity and atheism, faith is required for both worldviews. To say that all of this universe came from nothing, not blank space, because blank space is something, came from absolutely nothing. This is what we have today. Yeah. And you're going to tell me that takes less faith than believing that it came from an eternal cause? Mm. Um, So listen, we all sound foolish when we're trying to figure this thing out. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather err on the side of uh, being foolish for a God who loves me. Yeah. A God who's created me with intention. Uh, And ultimately, I, I truly believe that when we put all of the worldviews on the table, Christianity is the only one that makes sense. And every other worldview that ascribes value to anything in this life has to borrow from the Christian perspective. Mm, That's so good. I remember having a conversation with a man. I was about to get on an airplane and um, we walked away. We were disagreeing about aspects of the Bible. And I walked away and the last thing I said to him, I said, both of us are betting on something right now. And we're going to find out in the end who is right. And I shook his hand. I said, I pray that you bet on my team because I'm nervous. I'm nervous for you on your team. And there's a reality, yeah, that faith exists in in any discussion of what we believe when it becomes to the beginning of the end because we weren't there. We weren't there in the beginning. And, and in the end, we will be there and we'll be facing judgment or we'll be facing nothingness. I think Joe Ellis was there in the beginning. Stop that. You're a nightmare. Uh, I hope he listens. I hope so. I hope he listens and heard that joke. <laughs> goofball. Um, well, I would love to hear just one challenge or one encouragement you have for our listeners kind of based off our discussion. We're going to wrap this up. Sure. So I would say that when you look at the people that Jesus chose to be his disciples, none of them were the intellectuals from Jerusalem. Mm. None of them were in high class positions. But that doesn't mean that there weren't intellectuals who did end up following Jesus. But they had to reckon with their own biases, prejudices, and worldviews that stood in contrast to Jesus. That's why I love Nicodemus. Mm -hmm. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who approached Jesus at night in the shadows of the night and kind of whispered in his ear, asking him a few questions. And then by the end of Nicodemus' story, he's out in broad daylight proudly proclaiming to be a fool for Christ. Um, So just be encouraged that if you are a person who has not identified as being an intellectual, you can become a part of the family of Mm -hmm. Christ. There is room for you. However, I would say that if we are Christians that we should not just exclude the intellectual aspect of our worldview. Mm. We should be diving in not only to the richness of theology and the richness of our beautiful worldview that God has gifted to us, but also diving into 
What are other people believing? Pray to God that as you walk through those worldviews, that he holds you, that he keeps you, and that he just does not let you wander off into uh, believing those worldviews. But how can we evangelize the world around us when we don't know what the world around us believes? First yeah. Peter 3 says to do it, to defend your faith with gentleness and respect. Uh, so we should always do that. But I think that we as Christians need to, um, we, we, can, we can be non-intellectuals, but we shouldn't stay there. Mm-hmm. We need to fill our minds with, with uh, the things of God so that we can uh, be excellent evangelists in our community. Yeah. To know him is to love him and to love him is to know him Mm -hmm. in the continued pursuit of anytime I seek to defend my faith or anytime I do any sort of evangelism, it proves to me that Christ is worthy of all my worship. Every time I stick my neck out there and have an awkward conversation with someone who doesn't believe um, or is questioning my beliefs, I say, Lord, I, I experience your trueness as I in faith defend what you've shown me about yourself. Because you're so good and so worthy to proclaim. Yeah. Um, and I would love you close us out in prayer. Absolutely. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for this day. We thank you for the sermon. We thank you for this text that you've given us uh, to help illuminate in our own hearts and minds uh, the necessity to uh, be Christians who are strong, who are loving, who are forgiving, merciful, compassionate uh, to those around us. And uh, we thank you for choosing um, your disciples, Jesus, and we thank you that um, that that we are able to be a part of uh, the legacy of of the gospel that you have given to us. So I pray, Lord, that you would embolden us, that you would strengthen us, give us the the courage to be fools for Christ in a world that is so hostile towards the gospel. Um, but let us do it with gentleness and love and respect towards our neighbor, uh, in hopes that they might come to know you. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today for this conversation. I'd ask that if you are being blessed by this, that you would share this, but also that you would subscribe so you receive notifications to get the next episode. It's such an encouragement to get to see believers think well about what God is doing in the hearts of those who are searching after him and be encouraged that he is searching after us. And so we we ask that you um, would be blessed.